So the title I was given by Charles a few weeks ago was The Holy Spirit and Me. And uh, sometimes Charles sends me messages and sometimes I say, ooh, let me think about that, and then I forget. And the response, um, I responded to Charles and I said, how can I resist? Um, um, Particularly because... Um, I realised that this this date was sort of coming up to quite um, a significant date to me, and I want to rewind. And I'm going to start. I'm going to start in the past, and I'm going to finish at learning with when Jogis became okay. So this is th- this is a snapshot, um, and uh, if this le- leaves you wanting more, then fair enough. That's <laughs> I will have done my job. Wanting more of God. <coughs> So uh, I, I want to take you back to um, uh, long, long ago um, when I was um, in the fifth form, which, which being interpreted is year 11. Anybody know any year 11s? Okay. So this is, this is, uh, this is Rosemary in, uh, in the fifth form in year 11. And I just got to, to know a friend who went to another church and I was hearing intriguing things about her church and about the Holy Spirit. And I knew there was a lot I didn't understand. And um, in those days, there were not a lot of Bible translations around. Um, but I'd got a little paperback New English Bible. And because I didn't understand this stuff about the Holy Spirit, um, I started reading through year 11 on my own, reading through the New Testament, trying to understand more. And to be honest, um, I I didn't get terribly far, and maybe I should have done. Um, And the question that was in my mind was, so this stuff she's talking about, about the Holy Spirit and her church, is this really meant to be for today? Or does it kind of stop, you know, 28 chapters in Acts, you get to the final full stop, and okay, the Spirit's come, church off, you know, that's it. So that, that was my question back in 1971-72. And um, so this brings us up to March 1972, which I think is 50 years ago. Ha. And... Um, one night, I, I just started, through this friend of mine, I just started going to a Saturday night thing that you would recognize. Um, a Saturday night gathering, not formal church, sharing, worshipping, uh, and stuff. And one night, a guy came in, he was in her year at school, the year above, and he said, oh, Rosemary, I've got a book for you. Oh, I've forgotten to bring it. I'm going to walk home and get it. Now, it was raining that night. And Robert walked home in the rain to get this book. And, and I thought, hmm, that could be an important book then. And he put this book in my hand. And the book was called Nine O'Clock in the Morning. And that's, a, that's a, a reference to Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. Uh, these men can't be drunk because it's only the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning. And so this was, this was, a, book, um, this was a book telling stories from the Anglican Church in America about how the Holy Spirit was transforming lives 
haven't looked at the book for a number of years. I can remember there was a story about an alcoholic being transformed and now could make the changes in his life. I remember there was a story about a couple heading for divorce and the Holy Spirit came and they were able to reconcile and rebuild. And there were exciting stories in this book. And I couldn't put this book down. I read the book until three o'clock in the morning. And what, it hi what that highlighted for me was a verse which said it all for me and how I'd missed it when I'd read uh, through the New Testament, I don't know. But in Acts chapter 2, that, that, that speech of Peter's, uh, which started off, there, they can't be drunk, the pubs aren't open yet, uh, Peter said to the uh, amazed people of Israel who had seen the evidence of the Holy Spirit, and Peter said to them, the promise is for you. I'll just, I'll just uh, read, so this is Acts chapter 2, 37. Uh, now, when they heard this, that Jesus was crucified um, and that God had raised him up, made him Lord. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of the sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls. And I knew when I read that, that that sort of six-month quest I'd had, is the Holy Spirit for now? I knew God was answering it. I knew the answer was, I'm included in that for you and those who are far off, generations. So I began to ask God, this is early March 1972, I began to ask God, well, well what? Well, show me. I was praying for two weeks. One Saturday night, almost 50 years ago to the day, <laughs> um, we went into uh, into a back room, four of us, um, me age 16, three 17-year-olds, and we started praying for the Holy Spirit to come. And, and I, I didn't know what to do. I did not know what to do. And I was just quietly praying. Others were praying. I don't know what they were doing. And um, after about three quarters of an hour, oh, I was on a deadline because I had to be, my dad had to pick me up at 10 o'clock. That was Laura of the Medes and Persians. My dad comes at 10 o'clock, I go home. Um, so I was, I was praying three quarters of an hour and then I didn't know what to do. And then I found myself praying a gospel prayer. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief and I found myself on my knees and one of these 17 year olds uh, laid hands on me and I <laughs> knew that the Holy Spirit had come to every cell of my body um, and what happened I told you these snapshots what happened after that the months that uh, that followed I knew I was a completely transformed person. 
Um, I had put my faith in Christ about three and a half years previously, yes. But I, I would say, I would still say today, that's why I'm starting with this story, um, that quest and that night was the beginning of the rest of my life. And um, three things, I think, happened. Um, one was, from that moment, I was no longer a secret disciple. <laughs> I had been a very coy secret disciple. My Bible was hidden in my bedroom so that nobody saw it. All kinds of things. I, can, I, still, have a, I still have a picture of me standing at the bus stop after hockey practice, just wanting to share Jesus with my friends. Um, and I, I actually, I don't think I could have stopped it if I'd tried. I don't know whether I was a nuisance, but I and God unloosed my tongue. Um, secondly, um, I was uh, um, the students, uh, students among, among you, you, yeah, okay, that introduction, you probably do know that I was an A student, um, but I was an anxious <laughs> A student. And uh, when, I did my, when I did my mocks in January, my breakfast did not stay down any morning before I went to go and do those exams. God transformed. From that night in March 1972, I headed into my real O-level exams, um, GCE O-levels, which transmogrified into GCSEs or something. Um, I went, held on eagle's wings, really. My anxiety had gone. I didn't need it anymore. I was changed. I knew I was changed. So I would absolutely say, talking about the Holy Spirit and me, that I had a life-changing, transforming experience. Now, I actually, I actually resist the title Holy Spirit and Me because <laughs> I am going to tell stories about me. But hey, that, uh, that, that verse about the promise is, is for you, right? Um, we, we have a problem in the English language. Um, we can get very individualistic as English speakers. We have a temptation in reading the Bible, which French people don't have, German people don't have, Russian people don't have, uh, Greeks don't have, uh, because somewhere in the history of English, in most dialects, we lost the distinction between you and in, in English, if I'm talking to you, you don't know whether that's just you or whether it's you. In the Bible, you do, right? The promise is, yes, I have my quest and God was kind in answering my question that it's about, it, is, it does include me. But church, this is so important. The story is about the people of God. The story is about us. Okay, so what where God includes me, <laughs> he definitely 
includes you. And do me a favour, will you please always have Rosemary on your shoulder when you are reading, when you are reading the Bible and you see something that says you and you think, oh, I'm being blessed. Would you please make sure by reading the context, it's usually pretty clear whether God is talking to the whole of the people or whether he's talking to one person. If you're not sure, drop me a message. I'll look it up and I will tell you, okay? Don't fall into the trap of being too individualistic. So the Holy Spirit and me is about the Holy Spirit and the people of God. And praise God, we're all included. Right. Yeah, fast forward. Right. The third thing that changed, my prayer life changed. Um, And my prayer life changed because one of the intriguing things I'd learned from my friend was um, that there was... There was something called praying in tongues or speaking in tongues and God giving you a new language uh, with which to address him, with which to communicate with him. And um, that, that was something very intriguing. It's still today something that's very intriguing for people. But I, I, want, to, I want to say that... Um, God, in giving me a new language to praise him in, uh, at significant times in my life, that has made a significant difference. Um, And I want to just give you one snapshot. Um, 1976, um, I was in Germany, uh, studying German. Yeah, I study languages. uh, It it takes work. (laughs) The, The gift of tongues is a free gift doesn't take any work just just takes holding your hand out and receiving a gift from God um, but I suddenly suddenly felt a heaviness about somebody who was important in my life who was a very long way away and so there were no emails blah blah in 1976 and I just started praying uh, and praying in tongues because I didn't know how to pray um, I just I just knew there was some problem that I couldn't even find out about, and I got praying. And I spent, I think, a weekend praying, not knowing what I was praying. Um, and I found out afterwards that that person had been crossing the road, and he didn't know how he escaped being, being mown down by the bus. Um, So God took that prayer that I couldn't even understand um, and used it, kind of cooperating with God. Um, Romans Romans 8 verse 26 says, we don't even know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself prays within us. Sometimes if I'm praying in tongues, um, sometimes I start off and then I get fresh idea about how I can pray with my mind. Sometimes that happens. That's all I'm going to say about that right now. Snapshot. Fast forward, 1991. Um, we were serving in, um, in South Wales and um, learning some... Uh, sharp learning curve. <laughs> learning, learning lessons. And this was learning lessons in a in a terminal illness setting. So pastorally caring 
for a relatively young family. They had a daughter of 16. They had a daughter of a bit older, two daughters, and dad had terminal bowel cancer. And pastorally coming alongside them, actually God did a great, uh, a powerful thing in this family who just come to church because they got this desperate need. But the, the snapshot I want to give you now is about the day of his funeral. He did die, but he died in Christ. Um, and the day of his funeral, um, I went back to pray with his widow, lady that we'd got to know over this terrible time, but where we had seen God move. And to be honest, I was... Um, we had ministered out of um, struggle, really, and out of feeling very dry. <laughs> um, feeling very dry, but God was at work anyway. And, and I went back on my own to pray with Janice, um, 40s, mum, just lost her beloved husband. And... I just prayed, feeling very dry, and she said, oh, what's that? And I said, um, what do you think it was? And she told me that she'd felt a kind of shock, power, electricity. I hadn't felt it at all. I had felt nothing. And I said, I think that's the Holy Spirit. I think that's the Holy Spirit who's coming to comfort you. I don't know what I said. But the, the point is that I, I was dry. <laughs> I didn't have anything to bring. But God used me in my weakness. And please, please hear this story uh, as me and my weakness. And I'm giving you snapshots. And please don't think... <laughs> that I am always, Holly's led us into a wonderful place today. Um, but I haven't always, in trying to worship here, I haven't always entered in the way that Holly's allowed me to enter in today. I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that. It doesn't depend on me. Um, so the Holy Spirit and me, you've heard two examples, I think, where I'm saying that sometimes... I've had a physical experience that reminds me that the Holy Spirit is with me. Um, physical experience in my hands. Um, so, sometimes you've, I, I felt a warmth when I've received from God. Sometimes I feel a particular warmth which reminds me that God is a healing God. And if my, if my hands begin to get um, quite warm, I'm looking around and wondering, you know, where... The, the need for healing is. Once I was in a big conference and I suddenly realized that my feet were like on fire. And I, I didn't, I'd never had that experience before at all. My feet were, were on fire and I, I was trying to make sense of that. Why were my feet on fire? I think the sense I've made of it over, over the years is probably that's about going, probably that's about sending and, you know, stepping out in what God's giving me. Um, you might have a better idea. I, I want to hear from you. And the, the other thing that does, does happen when um, I'm, I guess, in tune with God or whether when he wants to wake me up 
is that sometimes I can sort of feel, you know, it's kind of like getting a kick in, not a kick, it's not, it doesn't hurt, but just kind of a, <laughs> and that does happen, um, where I, I, I just feel like, it's like an amen from the whole of my body, where it's, it's just like God saying, you know, wake up, <laughs> pay attention, yeah, this is, this is from me. And I was sitting over there um, two weeks ago when Joe Gisby came and as he began to download that prophetic word, um, that's, um, that's, that's how I was feeling. Sometimes as I've, as I've walked with God, sometimes it's been a long process where something's begun to settle in me. <laughs> Something's begun to settle in me. Soon after I first came to Stanford in 2002, probably a year later, I was relinquishing something to God. My resources, I was relinquishing to God. I was also seeing a need um, to deepen and enable ministry. And as these two things came together, I began to sense that God was actually calling me to live differently um, and that certainly for me as a single person living behind my own front door and my life looking the same as everyone else except I happened to go to church wasn't enough <laughs> and that for me God wanted something else and that was settling me in me for a long, long, long time. And there was a growing conclusion about this, which involved lots of, um, lots of questions, lots of discussions with the Methodist Church, who I was working for at the time. And God gave me a word in French, uh, which was auberge, which is um, a place of refuge, a place for the army to be based, a place of rest. And I'm still holding on to that word, but part of that was fulfilled in the fact that in 2010, um, I was able to welcome Gemma and then Mira and baby John into my home. And that, so that came out of a long process where I know God was at work, work in me. And the climax of that long process was a 10-day process where suddenly the Methodist superintendent asked me to move to Grays from Stanford. And I had 10 days to give my reply. And by the grace of God, I was learning um, I could do, by his grace, something I didn't know I could do, which was to fast and wait on God. And so in those 10 days, never managed it since, but that was a very significant time, six of those 10 days, and don't ask me which, but out of those 10 days, six of them I was able to fast. And that gave me grace and power to speak what God was saying to me in giving my answer. Yes, I will move to Grace if you will bless me 
to use that house differently. And they did. <laughs> the Holy Spirit in me. Um, and I want to bring it right up to, to here and now. I've learned from this community, that, uh, these, you lovely creative people, I'm a words people, but you lovely creative people, I've learned a little bit. And a few years ago, my friend Mary um, did some paintings as part of her prophetic gift, and she invited people to um, choose one, buy one, accept one, and I was, I was totally drawn to this one. This one has, um, has just drawn me. Um, uh, and <laughs> here we are. So coming right up to the prophetic, the prophetic word that Joe Gisby brought. And he was talking about people who might think they were in the second half of their story. <laughs> I think that's me. And um, calling us to awaken. And there's a very middle second half celebration in that picture. And um, one thing that I have done over many, many years is, um, although th there have been many days when I have not lived in the immediacy of God's goodness, um, but on many occasions I have been, um, I have been keen to um, get, get prayer and get back in that place. And that that morning, two weeks ago, I made a beeline for Joe Gisby because you just have to pray that word for me. And his, his word was about awaken, uh, and his word was about leaving lethargy, and his word was about breathing new life. And I know I've got to bring this into land. And he talked about um, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And I want to read you a couple of bits from the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Um, so this was, um, you, you're going to have to go back and read it. I've been rereading it and weeping over it. Um, but this is the, the risen Aslan who's broken his muzzle, who's broken his cords, and he's coming to bring life to those who've lost life for him. Chapter 16, what happened about the statues? What an extraordinary place. And all those stone animals, cried Lucy. It's like a museum. Hush, said Susan. Aslan's doing something. Aslan's doing something. He was indeed. He bounded up to the stone lion and breathed on him. Then, without waiting a moment, he whisked round, almost as if it had been a cat chasing its tail, and breathed also onto the stone dwarf. Then he pounced on a tall stone dryad. But at that moment, Lucy said, Oh, Susan, look! Look at the lion! This was the stone lion, cursed by the witch. I expect you've seen someone put a lighted match to a bit of newspaper 
which is propped up against an unlit fire. And then for a second, nothing seems to have happened. And then you notice a tiny streak of flame creeping along the edge of a newspaper. It was like that now. For a second after Aslan had breathed upon him, the stone lion looked just the same. Then a tiny streak of gold began to run along his white marble back. Then it spread. Then the colour seemed to lick all over him as the flame licks all over a bit of paper. Then, while his hindquarters were still obviously stone, the lion shook his mane and all the heavy stone folds rippled into living hair. Then he opened a great red mouth, warm and living, and he gave a prodigious yawn. And now his hind legs had come to life. He lifted one of them and scratched himself. Then having caught sight of Aslan, he went bounding after him and frisking round him, whimpering with delight and, and jumping up to lick his face. And here's the little lion. And he's very little. And, and so this is, this is the image, isn't it, of the breath of life. I don't have time to go back to John chapter, chapter 20 and Jesus coming and breathing Holy Spirit upon them. Talk to me about that another time. But the Lord Jesus coming and breathing new life into us, recreating us for the purpose for which he created us. John, John chapter 20, breathing. Genesis chapter 2, breathing. Creation, recreation. And bringing us to life. And to life to serve God. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be very good and I am going to finish. Um, but the... Just, just um, Aslan takes in the story, which is C.S. Lewis is just rooted in Scripture, and uh, and Christian, uh, and Christ, the Christian story, and uh, I'm going to finish by reading uh, what it says about the the lion, the little lion, the one who's been who's had the breath of life, has turned him back from stone ezekiel chapter 36 i will turn your hearts of stone <laughs> into a heart of flesh and sometimes we're a bit you know i've been stuck and solid immobile <laughs> but i i want to say that these, these last two weeks god's been rebreathing life into me aslan clapped his paws together and called for silence our day's work is not yet over, he said. And if the witch is to be finally defeated before bedtime, we must find the battle at once. And join in, I hope, sir, added the largest of the centaurs. Of course, said Aslan. And they do. And with a great deal, um, and, and, and those, who are good, those who are good with their noses must come in front with us lions to smell out where the battle is. Look lively and sort yourselves. And with a great deal of bustle and cheering, they did. So they're off to do battle for good against evil, right? They're off to bring in the kingdom of God. And the most pleased of the lot was the other lion, the little lion. 
who kept running about everywhere pretending to be very busy but really in order to say to everyone he met did you hear what he said us lions that means him and me us lions that's what i like about aslan no side no standoffishness us lions that meant him and me